right, good morning. My name is Matt, um, and technically I, my title here at Harvest is the high school missions pastor. Uh, it is really weird to be 24 and called pastor, so just call me Matt, please. I feel like I'm like 50 <laughs> when someone calls me pastor. I sometimes... Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm used to talking to high schoolers. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Starting off on a good foot. So, I need prayer. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was invited by Gary to uh, preach this morning. Um, so with that, I do like to do things in threes because it's a good biblical number. So I'm going to pray again. Um, if we haven't had enough prayer this morning, right? Pray in all things. So if you wouldn't mind praying with me this morning, that would be awesome. Jesus, I just thank you uh, for everyone in this room. Uh, God, I thank you for the story that you've given us of Joseph and how, man, like every week we get to look up on the stage and see that you meant it for good. Um, Lord, would we know and believe that in the situations in our lives? Holy Spirit, would you speak through me today? Uh, would I fade away and would you be ever present and would you go to the places of these brothers and sisters' hearts that I cannot? And um, Lord, would it be a time of reflection and a time to seek you, uh, to seek truth, and to hear from you this morning? Would we all learn, Lord, in how we can step into the redemption that you have for us now? In your name, amen. So if you're just joining us uh, for the first time, or maybe you haven't been here for a couple weeks, uh, we've been going through Genesis, the latter, half of, or latter part of Genesis, uh, through the story of Joseph's life. Um, so Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. There's like favoritism that goes on with his dad uh, because he had this wife, Rachel, that he loved more than Leah. And, and he favorited Joseph and his other brother, Benjamin. His brothers get jealous, sell him into slavery. Um, he's put into slavery where then he ends up going into prison multiple times, um, rising out of prison, uh, being successful, all the while God's with him in the midst of it. Uh, and then last week, he, he's brought out of prison again, interprets these dreams of Pharaoh, saying that there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. Um, Pharaoh puts him over all of Egypt, second only to him. Uh, and Joseph, towards the end of this chapter, he has sons. He, he's given a wife to, um, and, and he has these sons, and, and he names them. Um, Manasseh is one of the names that he gives them. And it says, God is, the, na- the meaning of the name Manasseh is, God has made me forget all my trouble and, and my father's household. And his other son, is, the meaning of his name is, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. That everything that happened in the past uh, with his family, it's like, um, I see how you were using that, God. You've brought me to this place now that, that I can save many people. I see your plan in the midst of it. That even in this place where I've been a slave, in this place where I've been in prison, you're bringing about a good work in me, recognizing what God is doing and has been doing the whole time. And, and if this were like a, a TV show or something like that we were watching week to week, this would be like the season finale kind of thing where we'd be like, dang, that was a really good ending for Joseph. Like, as the viewers of that, like, this is awesome that this guy that we've been watching for 13 years, he was either in slavery or in prison, um, that that whole time God had a plan. What a good ending for this. But then you hear during the summer that there's going to be a second season to this show um, that we're going to watch. I don't know if anybody here watched Lost. 
I unfortunately did. Uh, every, <laughs> every episode. Um, and uh, don't do it. Um, <laughs> the, the ending's not worth it. But um, Lost was super good at having really good season finales and really good season openers because each time you were like, what are they going to do next? You know, it'd leave you with this gut-wrenching, clinging, like, I can't wait till the next one. And the season opener um, would be just as, like, gut-wrenching, like, how, how did they do that or why did they do that? So I imagine as we dive into chapter 42, it's like we're starting a new season. Some time has passed, about, we're like two years into the famine kind of time. The season of plenty has already happened. It's two years into that famine. And the scene is kind of set before we dive in. Um, if you can imagine with me, like uh, watching this on TV, that you see the sand, you're like, oh, we're still in Egypt, sweet. Or something like the, the camera pans over this sand and off in the distance you see uh, this tiny, maybe not tiny, this group of tents. Um, and it's getting closer and closer, and then it's that kind of like um, the focusing thing where it's a little blurred or whatever, and then it kind of goes in, and you can kind of see some people standing around in the midst of it. Um, you can hear some voices. You're not sure what they're talking about at this point. Um, and then you notice that they're speaking about Egypt, and then when it gets closer and closer, and as, the, as it focuses in more, and we get closer and closer to this group of people, you see that this is actually Joseph's family that is the start of this next season. And it's like, what? Why are they back in the story? You see that it's his father and his brothers that sold him into slavery, that wanted him dead, that they're back into the story again. And then it goes to commercial. Uh, <laughs> and you're like, no, ah! And then it's way too many commercials before it gets back to the actual thing again. So that's where we're starting off. That's where 42 starts to take place. So in Genesis 42... Verse 1. You can follow up on the screen, I believe, as well. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? That's so great. Uh, like, he, this, Jacob, who, mind you, he actually doesn't like these sons a whole ton. Um, he, he, he's not a huge fan of, of this group of guys. They've done some gnarly stuff. Um, and they were the last ones. They brought him, you know, Joseph's cloak that was covered in blood. And I bet there was some suspicion or something in his mind like, man, I can't trust these guys. And they're supposed to be taking care of him. He's really old at this point. And, and they're starving. Like, it's, it's, it's famine. And they have a lot of mouths to feed. And so he's like, why are y'all just looking at each other? Really quick tangent. I may say some things that are, I, since I work with high schoolers a lot, I use slang a lot of the time. I may say things um, like janky or, um, I don't know what, I may call you dudes or, or bro. Um, I apologize ahead of time. It's just going to come out. So what's the sign, janky? Uh, janky is like messed up or screwed up. So, yeah, there you go. That is the definition of janky in the proper Portland language. All right, so he says, why are you, you just looking at each other? Like, go get us food. Um, he continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. So, right away, as we're starting off on this season opener, um, 
Jacob is sending his sons to Egypt. And you're like, ah, something is going to happen. Something big is going to happen. There's no way that in this story that has so much providence, so much of God working in the details, so much of God being there and redeeming this situation, there's no way that God is just going to have this group of brothers go to Egypt and for it to just be random or just be happenstance or just be a coincidence that they're going to where their brother is now second in command. And it's interesting to me, too, that, that Jacob keeps Benjamin back. You know, um, J- Jacob is not necessarily uh, the patriarch that we should look up to as a dad um, with the favoritism that he shows his kids. Um, he, uh, he ends up, he's so, so, so terrified to lose Benjamin, his like last, his last thing to, his last son to remember his wife, Rachel, in some ways, that he won't send Benjamin, who's a man, like at this point, he won't send him with his other brothers and the lack of trust that, that he has, like for um, his other sons as well. That's real janky right there, Dean. Um, don't be janky, Jacob. <laughs> um, so, um, so that's what's taking place as they, they go down there. And if you're reading this for the first time, maybe, that would be crazy to come across this and to see that they're going back to Egypt. I'm going to invite uh, some friends um, to come up, and they're going to read the next section of verses for you. Um, these are my friends Lauren and uh, Matt and Connor. Um, because what's so awesome about this passage in Genesis is that it's a narrative. And so there's a lot of dialogue that takes place. It's such a good, full, and rich story. And we have a lot of that going on in this passage that we're in in verse um, or in chapter 42. So Lauren's going to pick it up in verse 6 for what happens next with, Jake, or with Joseph and his brothers. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? From the land of Canaan. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. Your servants were twelve brothers and sons of one man who lived in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with your father. It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all into custody for three days. All right, we're going to pause there. So Joseph is standing up in front of all these people. Who knows what the process was, but probably pretty intricate. He probably wasn't just tossing out grain to everybody. Um, but there was lines of people, and as he's standing up there passing out the grain, he was the one that would oversee the whole process. He looks in line, and he sees some really familiar faces that most likely he never thought he was going to see again. And it's probably that, that double take, you know, like, are you kidding me right now? Like, is this really happening? And they get closer and closer. 
And for me, I, I can't really relate to what Joseph's stomach necessarily was doing in that moment. Uh, but for me, like as I was thinking about it, it's like when, when I've gone through a breakup with a girlfriend, like seeing her for the first time after like a month or after a year, and it's like, oh, oh this is not good. <laughs> I need to get out of here real quick. Um, and where's the bathroom? <laughs> so um, that's like, if, 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 you, uh, if you imagine with Joseph, like this, this story is full of real people and real emotion and real hurt and real pain that takes place. And sometimes we can just read over the Bible and not get some of that, not see that this really happened to real people that feel and hurt and love and receive joy and cry just like us. And Joseph sees his brothers and that what once was the pain that was so forgotten that, that maybe he had thought and he was kind of past or over or whatnot, that seizes him in a huge way. I, I can't say that for certain, but knowing what it's like to, and this is after now probably 22 years, um, this is the first time that he's seen his brothers, and all those memories flood back. All those things come back to him. And it's a really interesting part of the story, because uh, I don't want to say confidently that everything that Joseph does from here on out is from God and is right to do, necessarily. As we'll see, he's kind of got um, he's in this place of power now, um, and he's in this place where it says he remembered his dreams. Um, maybe, who knows if it's the first time he's remembered his dreams since they took place or what, but he remembers his dreams that he had uh, of, the, of the stocks that were bowing down to him, of, the, of the, plant, the stars that were bowing down to him. And it makes a lot more sense now that he's in this position of power, and his brothers are not, where they used to be in power over him, and now the tables have turned. And what's Joseph going to do in this moment? And it's interesting. He right away says, you're spies. Like, you've come to, to invade our land. And as I read some commentaries and stuff, there, there's some things that people can point out of why Joseph did everything that he did. And, and, and maybe he did make every right choice, you know, in, in trying to deceive his brothers a bit so it wasn't revealed right away that they knew who he was so that God could work on their hearts to convict what was going on to bring about like this pain or this wrong that they had done to their brother in order to receive um, the redemption that God had for him. But I can almost guarantee, just like us, when we have to make a choice, there's this wrestling that's going on inside of him. There's this wrestling of this is what's right, almost like the little shoulder angel thing. This is what's right, and this is what's wrong. And, and I could choose either. I totally could just smash their faces into the ground a little lower as they bow to me. Um, and I don't know this for certain, but he has them thrown into prison, all of them, for three days. And, and I bet some of that was so that he could process, like, what do I do next? What, God, what is going on here? You know, I thought redemption had come. I thought that, that maybe the story was even ended, that this is what all that you were working towards, the redeeming of all things. Um, and you can just imagine him potentially having sleepless nights, having nights where he's just crying out to God and saying, how could you bring this back? I thought everything was good. I thought you had done all the work. Um, I thought this, this was over. I thought that I had forgotten this pain. Um, maybe he's lost his appetite at this point as well. Uh, and then the brother's side of it, they're in prison like, what just happened? We were just buying grain and this guy called us spies. 
and they're in a land that they don't know. They're in a land where they're the foreigners. Um, they're, not, they're not known as Jacob's sons, these, these mighty guys that uh, end up being the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, they're foreigners, and they're like, they could do anything to us. We could die, and our, our father could lose practically all of his sons, and, and, and just every creak of a door that they'd hear in that prison, or every, every rattling of keys wondering if it's their time to be executed, potentially, because um, they don't know what's going on. Um, so as the story continues, just be thinking of that emotion and the real factor of these people experiencing these real things. And we'll pick up in, in verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. May not die. This they proceeded to do. Joseph brings him out of prison. And, and while we don't know the whole process that went on for him, is he's wondering, what should I do? Um, what's my next step, God? As, as, as he's seeking God in it, we do know that he did seek God in it. Because one of the first things he says to his brothers is, I fear God. Um, and in that moment, in that statement, what we can know about Joseph is Joseph fears God, and that's said a lot like in, in the Bible and said a lot sometimes in church, and it's like, what, what the heck does that mean to fear God? Like, we, we know God is loving. We know God is for us. Like, who could be against us? What, what would it look like for me to fear God? And we know that it also says like, that the fear of the God is, is beginning of all wisdom, too. So what, is, what does that mean? And, and Joseph knows that it's been God, no one else that's been with him in this whole process all these years, that while he was alone, while he was separated, while, while he was in a land that, that he was a foreigner in, while he was in prison, the only constant through that was God. The only constant that was with him through the trial, through the change, was God. And for him to say, like, in this moment, he's, he, he's reflecting and he's thinking about it, and he's like, I know that I could never step into something else without God because he's been there for me. Life without God being there for me would have been awful. So I fear not having this God. I fear to disobey what this God calls me to step into. I fear what, what God has for me next. I fear that because God has given me so much, how could I not respond in return? Um, be just as giving. So he, in this process, whatever it is for Joseph, he's seeking God in those three days. He's seeking God with all he has, I'm guessing, in order to respond to his brothers. And we don't know what that's going to be yet. You know, they're pulled out of prison. Um, man, in this story of Joseph, it deals with so much like relational baggage and hurt and pain with this family. And where I see that it connects so quickly and easily with us, the readers, is that I think, 
I'm guessing that all of us have dealt with some sort of relational pain, hurt, or baggage, whether it's with family, whether it's in marriage, whether it's dating, whether it's with your friends, um, whether it's with coworkers, whatever the case may be, we've experienced some sort of hurt relationally. And sometimes we don't know exactly how to respond in that hurt or in that pain. Um, and we're going to continue to see how Joseph uh, responds as well. Um, his brothers in this moment, they're, they're like, God, God is doing this to us. Like, why is this happening? Like, we're being punished. They recognize um, that what they did to Joseph wasn't right, wasn't good, wasn't correct. It wasn't the thing that they should have done all those years ago. They recognized that they were in the wrong. Maybe they recognized that their entire lives after that moment. I don't know. Maybe anytime something bad happened, they were like, God's punishing us for what we did, that conviction taking place. And it says at the end that Joseph could understand everything they were saying because he had an interpreter. Uh, and in that moment, he weeps. Um, as we're going to get to next in verse 23. Thank you, guys. You can take a seat. So in verse 23, it says, They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. There's like an old adage um, that we say a lot of the time. Uh, that This is a brief tangent I'm going to go on. Um, but the time heals all wounds. And I have not found that to be true. Um, and I think this story says that as well. That Joseph, after 22 years, after even naming his own son, like to make this proclamation to who knows who, maybe just himself, like a reminder, um, that I've forgotten, you know, God has made me forget all the trouble with my family, all the pain of my past. You know, the hero of the story, the reason that anything ever was healed in Joseph's life to begin with, that he was brought out of the pit, that he was brought out of prison, was God. And, and I think that God heals all wounds, and he uses time sometimes to do that. Um, but time itself doesn't do squat if we don't actually step into healing, step into redemption, step into the hard process of sorting through some of that hurt and pain and calling out to God like Joseph did, and saying, God, I need you in the midst of this. How could this ever be right again? How could this ever be made whole again? And that's the process that Joseph is going to have to go through and his brothers are going to have to go through if anything is going to be healed whatsoever. And for me, like as a dude, I said it, um, sometimes, and I'm talking to the dudes really quick in the audience, sometimes for us, it is really easy um, to not want to let God heal things because we don't want to address that anything's broken to begin with. And ladies, I know that goes on for you sometimes, but there's this kind of mantra of guys that we've got to be tough and we've got to get through the pain and we don't let things affect us because we've got to lead in the midst of it. Um, and by all means, we will not cry uh, in the midst of that. As well, I know that's not everybody, and I'm a crier, so um, so I let that happen pretty easily. Uh, if you ever want class on how to cry, guys, you can just come to me. It's really easy. Um, 
Greg too, and I can say that since he's not here. He cries more than I do. So, um, but, man, like recently I, I was actually going through something that, that was pretty tough for me. Um, and I was actually scared to go to Jesus with it uh, because with Jesus is where I feel things more deeply than any other place. Um, with Jesus, he's the one that actually knows my heart and the depth of the brokenness in the midst of it. And going to him, sometimes he brings out stuff that's like, man, you, you haven't let this fully be healed yet. You haven't let me fully redeem this yet. And it's a hard place to be sometimes, and you cry. And I was on the phone with Greg as I was going through this, um, and I was like, dude, I'm scared like, to go to God right now. And he was like, but you know you have to. I was like, dang it. <laughs> yes, I do. And I cried a ton, and I grieved for a loss and for pain in the midst of relationship. And that is a good thing to acknowledge that things are broken. So much of this world doesn't acknowledge that things are broken, and they go through the motions, and it's numbing, and they keep doing the same things over and over again, expecting a different result because they don't address that things are actually broken. We need to change. We need these things to be healed. And for us Christians, it's the same. Um, Man, and we know the Savior. We know the Redeemer. We know the Healer. How could we not in our pain, go to him and know that, that he takes us as we are and he doesn't want to keep us the same way too. That's what's so awesome about Jesus is that he doesn't want to leave you in that broken state. He wants you to be able to show and share all of it so that he can bring you up stronger than you were before through his spirit and through the redeeming work of the gospel. So side note, dudes, it's okay to cry. In Psalm 34, verse 18, I think there's a slide for this. Uh, It's from the passage that Sherry read this morning. God is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Man, like if that's a verse to memorize, that's a verse to memorize. Because we all are brokenhearted at one point through a number of different things. Maybe your team isn't very good, like the Seahawks. And... um, I'm a cheesehead, so I'm still, I'm still, God's still showing me the good that he had in that one play where it was a, it was a touchdown, it wasn't, wasn't a touchdown, it was an interception a couple years ago. We can talk afterwards if you want to debate about it. Um, but there's, there's an assortment of little things where we're brokenhearted or, or that hurt to, to really big, devastating things where maybe you haven't talked to your parents in years, you haven't talked to your kids in years, that you haven't talked to one of your best friends in years, that, that you've gone through divorce, that you've gone through your parents divorcing, that, that you've lost someone. Um, in that, our hope, because in those things, I think that's where we call out to God most and say, where are you in this? Why is this going on? And it says, God is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And that is a truth and a hope that we can cling to. There's only, me and Greg have talked about this before, there's only one verse that feels like a formula, kind of, in Scripture, and and I do not like math or science at all, but this, I'm like, man, if this is true, awesome. It says that, God says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you, 100% of the time. Um, What an awesome promise that we have from God that says when we draw near to Him, He's right there, 
drawing near to us. And he was actually seeking us before that as well. And with Joseph in this, um, he is brokenhearted. He is crushed in spirit. It's actually recorded in Genesis five different times that he weeps, that he cries, that he mourns over this situation. And he's a man's man, too. You know, he, he was looked up to from, from all different people um, throughout his life. Uh, and, and the place that he knows that he needs to be is, is currently crushed in spirit so that God can heal, God can lift him up, just like he did out of prison, and that he can do that again. So then Joseph still, he has, he has Simeon kept behind. It's kind of cool. You see in this process of three days uh, that he kind of relents from his initial punishment. Originally he said, I'm going to keep all of you here except for one to go back to your dad um, and, and ask for food or to, to bring your other brother, Benjamin, um, before I'm going to let you go. And this time he, he, he lets it just be that Simeon is going to stay behind and everyone else uh, can, can go ahead. And, and this is where I still see some interesting stuff with like Joseph. I don't know if he's carrying out punishment or if he's waffling like between decisions. So uh, when he was in the pit, uh, Reuben's plan, the eldest, the firstborn, was keep him in the pit and then I'm going to go and save them, save him and pull him out and take him back um, to my father. Uh, Simeon was the second born. Reuben goes off. Who knows what he was doing? Maybe he was going to the bathroom. Maybe he was getting a rope. Maybe he was whatever. It doesn't say. But he's off somewhere. He's gone. Um, the traders, or the, the slave traders, come along. That's when Judah has the plan. Hey, like, let's sell him into slavery, get a profit. Uh, Simeon would have been in charge, like, in that, as, as the second eldest brother. He would have been the one overseeing that. So it's interesting. Maybe it's total coincidence, but... Um, Joseph decides to keep Simeon um, behind and have him stay in prison a little bit longer than the rest of them. Uh, so I just think that there's this emotional of Joseph hearing like, man, I need to show grace. I need to show mercy. I need to show love. I want to work towards forgiveness. I hate them. They hurt me. This isn't fair. They deserve this. They deserve that. Um, and he's waffling kind of between the two. And so... Um, What's awesome is that God, Joseph is not the hero of the story. God is. And that God, just like everything else before this, is going to use it to his good. To both Joseph's good and the brother's good and his overall good um, for all mankind, for all eternity. So then I'm, I'm going to kind of summarize these, these next verses, 25 through 36. Uh, what happens next is he sends the brothers back home with their grain that they bought and then Joseph does something really weird. He ends up putting their money that they paid for the grain back in their sacks without the brothers knowing. The brothers are going along on their, on their trip back to their father, um, probably in a hurry because they want their, their brother Simeon, you know, to get out of prison. Like, we got to get him out. We don't want to lose another brother. They stop along the way. One of them opens up their sack and sees their money in it. Like, what is this that God has done to us. What's going on? Why would this happen? Joseph had only showed them that, that he was angry before that. He called them spies. He put them in prison. And the next thing, there's money in their sacks of grain. They're like, who did this? God, did you do this? Like, what is going on? This is crazy. It's like they're getting, their emotions are getting messed with. It's this up and down kind of yo-yo thing that's going on with the brothers. But they end up tying it back up 
go on the rest of their way, get to their father, relay the whole story, um, saying everything that happened. We need Benjamin to come back with us. Uh, and look, money was in, placed in this sack. And then as they open up each sack, each man's money had been returned to him as well. In verse 28, that's where it says, what is this that God has done to us? And the brothers, like I, I spoke to it a little earlier, they might have lived in this fear their, the rest of their life after selling Joseph into um, slavery that God was going to get them back for what they did, uh, that they deserved to be punished for what they did. And so every little thing that may have happened, maybe they break something or maybe a storm happens or maybe someone in their village dies or whatever, it's like God's punishing us. Just this conviction, this, this, this like we did something wrong, this we're, we're deserving to have something bad happen to us as well. And I know for me sometimes that I have thought that same thing in my life when I've sinned when I've screwed up, when I've messed up, that we almost step into this relationship with God saying, like, I screwed up, I screwed up, I deserve to be punished. Like, I deserve to have these bad things happen to me. I'm so sorry. Um, and, like, every little thing, it's like, is it because I did that thing that now this is happening? Is it because, like, I hurt that person that, that now this person's hurting me and all this? And, man, I wish that the brothers had known the gospel to know that that's not true. Um, that what Jesus did, what God says to us, is yes, we are all deserving of punishment because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Each of us has turned to our own way. But through Jesus' sacrifice, through him taking on all the punishment for all sin, for all time, that we can stand before the throne and we can approach it boldly, that we can go to God now as one that's, that's washed clean of our sins. Um, that yes, we did once deserve that punishment, but Jesus paid for that and took the reaping of that punishment upon himself. That's the gospel. Not that if you mess up, that you deserve to keep having bad things happen to you. We're so good um, as Christians of when we sin, of heaping on guilt, heaping on shame, heaping on I'm the worst. When God says, you're still my son, you're still my daughter, step into that. Stop looking back at the sin and feeling guilty and shameful about it. Look towards me who paid that price, who I took all of that on, on the cross. That, like that picture over there that we had from our gospel series, that we don't have to carry around that bag of trash because it was paid for. Amen. Amen. Not That stuff's janky, right, Dean? <laughs> we don't need that. And I wish the brothers had known that. And I think they're going to start to get to experience it a bit. So if you're here this morning and you think that because of this really bad mistake you made one time or, or maybe multiple mistakes that you're being punished for those things, you can turn to Jesus and stop looking at what you should be punished for. Um, instead, look at what he was punished for and step into his grace and his love in the midst of that and be free. And maybe free for the first time because those things weigh heavy on you when you keep carrying them around with you wherever you go. And for these brothers, instead of looking at what they shouldn't have done for so long, um, and I don't know if the passage is trying to say this or not, so bear with me, but what's so interesting is when they're in Egypt, 
when they're in line for grain, when they first meet Joseph, as they're there, and even at times when they say, like, God's punishing us, or God's doing this, or God's doing that, um, and they're looking at all all the sin and all the things they shouldn't have done, the person that they should be seeking forgiveness with is right in front of their face, and they don't know it. Um, They can't see it. That their brother, that they did all this wrong to, is right in front of them. And I know sometimes it's so easy for us, when we've been the ones that have hurt others, to see all the mistakes that we made, the things that we shouldn't have done, instead of addressing that they're right in front of us, and what are all the things that God says that we should do now? How can we step into the redemption that he has now instead of just always looking back into the past and wishing that you could have done this or wishing you could have done that? How can you seek that person's forgiveness? How can you continue to show that person um, that you love them and that God's changed you and you don't want to be the same as you used to be? Seeking forgiveness is super hard. Super hard. Um, you know, brief little story. So um, a couple years ago, uh, I was looking through, uh, I wasn't ever an alcoholic, just to make the statement, but through AA stuff um, and the steps, and one of the steps that they have uh, is, is to write down everybody that your sin or your, your addiction has hurt. Um, write down every name. And, and so for me, one of the big things that was a struggle in my life before Jesus, you can totally talk to me about it whenever you want, it is that I struggled with girls and sex and Potiphar's wife kind of stuff all the time. Um, and so I wrote down a lot of names uh, of different ways through manipulation, through using, through, through, through not showing love, um, through not repenting. I wrote down a lot of names. Both, um, yeah, I wrote down a lot of names on that piece of paper. And then the very next step after that is like, now go and seek forgiveness with each one of those individuals. Ah! <laughs> no! <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> and, um, and I had to really wrestle through that and really pray through that. Uh, like, God, like how? I haven't talked to her in years. How could that ever happen? Like, that would be really awkward, too. <laughs> um, I have no idea where she's at in life, where she's at with you, whatever the case may be. But I asked God that he'd work on my heart in the midst of that. And that if he wanted me to make things right with these people, that that would take place. Because I wanted to do what this book says. Um, I didn't want to be stuck with that baggage. I wanted to, as, as far, as much as possible it was for me, I wanted to be at peace with everybody. Um, and and this, this book tells me that I, I, I need to seek forgiveness. Um, and that, that God's forgiven me much, and that I can be a representation of the gospel when I do the same and, and share with others that I've wronged them. Next thing I knew, sometimes it was weeks, sometimes it was months, sometimes it was years afterwards, these people would start popping back up in my life again. Sometimes just a random text, like late at night, where it's like, oh gosh. Um, and it's like, hey. And I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> and what's so cool is while probably every situation was awkward and probably every situation was hard and maybe not the best way to go about it. Like, I haven't heard from them since. Not because, like, I did it in a mean way or whatever and, like, you're a sinner and yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, God showed me that those things, like, I didn't have to keep 
um, carrying them around with me anymore. And it felt so good this time, walking away from that relationship, walking away from that conversation with a person, knowing that I'd been forgiven. Whether they meant it or not, that before God, I sought forgiveness <laughs> with that individual. And I don't tell you guys that so that you can be like, wow, Matt, that's pretty impressive. No. But he can do the same with you, with the people that have hurt you in your life or that you've hurt them. Um, and I'm not saying go through your old high school yearbook necessarily and like find all those people or whatnot. But I also got the opportunity one time when I apologized to a friend, a dude, where then a year later I got to pray with him in the parking lot at Cascade Station. He's walking with Jesus now. Um, God meant it for good. Even in the midst of our janky stuff, he meant it for good. His, his hope in the midst of it is always that he can redeem, always that he can bring this full circle of crazy redemption to these really broken situations. And that he wants us to step into those things and not hinder them, not be afraid of them, not pull back in the midst of them. And maybe you're here this morning, and I'll just kind of end with this, um, and you feel more like Joseph, though, and that others have really hurt you. That family members, uh, that husband or wife, that your kids, that friends, whoever has really wronged you in a lot of ways. And you don't know how anything could ever be good again in that relationship. That maybe you've, you've sought as, as much as you can um, how, that, how that situation could be redeemed, how you could forgive them, or how they could even seek forgiveness. But there's just a huge wall between the two of you in the midst of that. Don't give up on God and what he wants to do in the midst of that situation. It was 22 years before he brought this about. And there's still a process after this as well. Redemption is a process. Um, God shows us that through the fall that happens in the garden to Jesus and after Jesus, that redemption is a process and that he can and will use all those things for good when we trust and don't limit what God can invite us into. When we don't say, well, I can go this far, God, but I can't go over that next thing. That's too much. That's, that's redeeming this situation too much. Wouldn't that be crazy to say to God? That's too much redemption. Sorry, Jesus. Um, I'm good back here. But we do that sometimes. And we limit the awesome kingdom come stuff that Jesus wants to invite us into now. And doing that like, is one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do personally as a Christian. Um, is pursuing or seeking that redemption in the midst of people that have wronged me in huge ways. But once again, where I have felt, I was talking to a friend recently about this, where I have felt closest to Jesus, whatever that, that means, that when we say that, um, is when I've been obedient to what his words, word says is possible through him. When he says that you can love your enemies, when he says that, that you can forgive them 70 times 7, all that stuff, when I've stepped into that and when I'm obedient in the midst of it, is where I'm like, whoa, like I don't look like me at all right now. <laughs> this is amazing. This is awesome. What else can you do? What else can I step into? What else do you want to invite me into rede to redeem all things and be a part of that redemption now? And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, what does that look like, Matt? How would I do that? Well, thankfully, I didn't come up with it. But this guy named Paul wrote it down um, in Colossians 3. 
verse 12. And I think it's a great picture of how we can step into redemption now. A list of things that we can do. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man, it's only through God that we could ever step into these hard things. It's only through God that Joseph was brought out of prison, that he could even think about forgiving his brothers or working towards redemption. And it's only through God that in your situation, whether you've hurt somebody or somebody's hurt you, that he's going to be near to you in that and he's going to see you through that and sustain you in it to give you what you need in order to forgive, in order to love, in order to work towards redemption. Verse 38 of 42. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, he will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. So we're left with a little cliffhanger. Uh, Jacob... He didn't hear the sermon, so he's not stepping into that redemption yet by sending Benjamin. Um, And he's holding him back and saying, no, you're not taking my son. You're not going back to Egypt. We'll leave Simeon there. So you have to come back next week if you want to hear how this story keeps coming to this fuller redemption that God has for it. And now Sherry and the band is going to lead us. And what's awesome in Colossians 3 is it talks about, man, sing these spiritual songs and, and work towards that redemption in the midst of these things as well.